Tonight's uh, first presentation I've entitled God's Final Call. God's Final Call. We've all been to the airport or most of us have been to the airport and you have seen the screens and you've heard the announcements. Final Call. Anyone here miss the plane? I have almost missed the plane a number of times, <laughs> but I haven't quite missed a plane yet. It's going to happen one of these days. Um, th does the plane wait? No, generally speaking, unless you're really important, the plane doesn't wait. Um, certainly, I don't think it's going to wait for me. Tonight, we're going to look at God's final call. We're going to look at God's final appeal. And we find God's final appeal in the book of what? Revelation, Revelation's last appeal. And as we have discovered over and over again, the Revelation is a wonderful book. The last book of the Bible, the only book in the Bible where a blessing is attached to everyone who will read, hear, and keep the things that are written in it. Because it's the revelation of who? Of Jesus Christ. The revelation of Jesus Christ. So tonight, we want Jesus Christ to be here with us. We want Him to be guiding us and leading us on this all-important uh, message, uh, which used to be two hours, but now it's just down to one hour because we don't have time to really unpack it. So I'm going to go through quickly and highlight the all-important points on this all-important message. So let's pray and ask God to bless our time together. Father in heaven, as we plunge into your word tonight once again, we ask and pray that you will open our minds, open our hearts, give us understanding you have promised in your word, in the book of James, chapter 1 and verse 5, that if anyone lacks wisdom, let him ask of God who will give to all liberally and without reproach. So we are asking and praying for your wisdom from on high, Father, through your Holy Spirit. Give us understanding that we may understand this all-important subject tonight. For this is our prayer in Jesus' name. And everybody said, Amen. Well, tonight, once again, we want to take a brief look at the three angels' messages. We've been going there night in and night out for a number of evenings together where God shares his final message of love to the world. We've discovered these three angels prepare the world for the second coming of Jesus. What do they prepare the world for? The second coming of Jesus. You go home and you read those three messages in Revelation 14. When the messages finish in verse 12, the next event is the second coming of Jesus. We've looked at the first angel's message. We've looked at the third angel's message. And we're going to look at the third angel's message a little more in our next presentation. But tonight, in this message, we want to take a look at the second angel's message where God exposes Satan's what? Deceptions of I've summarized the three angels' messages in six words. God's truth is the first angel's message. Satan's lies is the second angel's message. And finally, in the third angel's message, God says, your choice. Which one will you choose? My truth that sets you free or Satan's lies that deceive and ultimately destroy forevermore. So tonight, we want to take a look at the second angel's message where God where God unveils, where he reveals Satan's lies, Satan's deceptions. Notice what we read in Revelation 14 verse 8 concerning this second angel's message. And another angel, this is that second angel, followed saying, Babylon is what? 
Fallen is fallen. That is for emphasis. Very important. That great city, because she has made all the nations drink of the wine of the wrath of her fornication. Now, what does all that mean? Hang on to your seats. We're going to unpack that as we go along. In Revelation 18, verse 4, a final message, a final call from God regarding Babylon's fall and what God is calling his people to do. Notice what we read in Revelation 18, verse 4. And I heard another voice from heaven saying, Come out of her that is out of Babylon, my what? My people, lest you share in her sins and lest you receive of her plagues. This is another call that comes to the world, especially God's people, that he has scattered in all denominations, in all religions, and those who are not religious but are sincere in heart. God says to them, you are my people, come out of Babylon. Otherwise, you will partake in her plagues. The seven last plagues, those who have the mark of the beast at the end of time will receive the seven last plagues. They will remain in Babylon and Babylon, which will be destroyed, they will be destroyed along with Babylon. Now, it's interesting because this voice comes from where? Comes from heaven. Now, who is in heaven? God is in heaven. Christ is in heaven. The Holy Spirit is here on this earth. The angels are ministering here on this earth, going between heaven and earth. Who has the authority and the right to refer to us as my people? I thought about that. Who do you think has that right and that authority? Is it the one who said, my sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me? Jesus. Do you think possibly that this message from heaven, this voice from heaven who says, come out of her, my people, is coming to us directly from Jesus himself? Do you think that's possible? I think it's very, very possible. Because Jesus says, my sheep, my voice, my people, they follow me. Who purchased us with his blood? It was Jesus Christ. We ultimately belong to who? Jesus Christ. How awesome that Revelation's final message of love, the final warning, the final call comes from the one whom the book of Revelation is all about. The revelation of who? Jesus Christ. I just think that that is absolutely awesome. Absolutely awesome. Now, who or what represents Babylon? Let's take a look at who ultimately represents Babylon. Fascinating. Isaiah chapter 14, verse 4, we read these words. Take up this proverb against the king of who? Babylon. And say, how the oppressor has ceased, the golden city has ceased. Now, who is God here speaking of? Is he speaking of the literal city of Babylon? Or is God using Babylon as a symbol, as a representative for someone else? Well, as we keep reading through Isaiah chapter 14, we come to the answer. Let's get to the answer. Here it is in verse 12. How you are what? Fallen from heaven, O who? Lucifer, son of the morning, how you are cut down to the ground, you who weaken the nations. Who is Lucifer? Lucifer was the name of Satan before he became Satan. 
That was his name, Lucifer. Son of the morning, light bearer. So who is ultimately the king of Babylon? It's Satan himself. He is the one behind the human system that he establishes as Babylon. Let me put it all in a nutshell for you. Babylon represents rebellion against God, persecution against God's people, and a counterfeit system of worship that Satan, who is the ultimate Babylon, as we've just discovered, the king of Babylon, has established in order to usurp worship that belongs to God alone. That's it, in a nutshell, of what Babylon is. Now, Satan has always worked through systems, through front men. Always he has worked through something else in order to deceive. At the very beginning of time, what did Satan use in order to deceive Eve? A serpent. A serpent. In the end, we are told that he will appear as an angel of light. An angel of light seeking to deceive those at the end of time into believing that he is Jesus Christ and he has literally come. We looked at that in a previous presentation. Go to Matthew 24 if you want to find out a little bit more about that. Now, let's take a look at Babylon from Genesis to Revelation. Just really brief. Really brief. I don't even know how long this presentation is going to go because I've never shared this before. This is the first time you're the first ones to hear this very presentation. Babylon has its origins at the Tower of Babel in Genesis chapter 11. Uh, the Tower of Babel is, is a tower that the citizens, after the time of the flood, established in defiance of God's word. God said, I've given you a rainbow, and that rainbow is a promise that it will never ever flood on the earth again, to flood the whole world out and destroy the whole world by a flood. I will never do that again. But the people after the flood said, no, we don't believe in God. We don't believe in what he has to say. We will defy the word of God. We will build ourselves a tower. We will build ourselves a city. We will make a name for ourselves. So right at the very beginning, Babylon, which has its origins with the Tower of Babel, is defiance. It's not taking God's word as truth. And it's about me building a name for myself. That is the Tower of Babel. You can go home and you can read it there in Genesis chapter 11. By the way, that is where God confused the languages. Up until this point, there was only one language that everybody had, just one language. And at the Tower of Babel, God confused the languages. And that's why we have so many languages today. It all took place at the Tower of Babel, which also means confusion. What does it mean? Confusion. So what's the devil into? Confusion. He's into defiance. He's into going against God's word and God's promises. The next time uh, we have Babylon that comes onto the scene of history in a major way is, is Nebuchadnezzar and ancient Babylon. You can read about that in the Old Testament there. Uh, ancient Babylon was a power that not only defied God, but it persecuted God's people. Ancient Babylon was involved in spiritualism. Ancient Babylon was about me, myself, and I. Is not this great Babylon that I have built for my power, for my honor and glory, says King Nebuchadnezzar? That is ancient Babylon, once again, in opposition to God. Then we have pagan Rome as Babylon. 
You may be thinking, what? Pagan Rome as Babylon? That's news to me. Notice what Peter writes here regarding pagan Rome as Babylon. He writes in 1 Peter 5.13, he writes, she who is in what? Babylon is speaking of the believers. There, That's the she. Elect together with you, greets you, and so does Mark, my son. So as far as Peter was concerned, Babylon was pagan Rome. Did pagan Rome persecute God's people? Yes. Was pagan Rome in defiance of God? Yes. Absolutely. The same, the same principles apply. And then finally, we've got Babylon in the end time that we're going to look at tonight. So, do we find a clear description of Babylon at the end of time in the book of Revelation? We absolutely do. In Revelation chapter 17, we find this woman that is uh, a harlot. She's described as a harlot. She has a golden cup in her hand. She is dressed in purple and scarlet. She is she's decked with uh, precious jewels and, and gold and so on and so forth. And she's riding this beast that has seven heads and ten horns. You're thinking, what? We've come across that before. Seven heads and ten horns. We've come across that where? In Revelation chapter 12, that describes one phase of this power. And then Revelation 13 describes a second phase of this power. And Revelation 17 describes a third and final phase of this power that goes against God and persecutes God's people. So let's read about this woman that's riding this beast. I call her the scarlet harlot. Let's, let's find out a little bit about her. Revelation 17 verse 1, we read these words. Then one of the seven angels who had the seven bowls came and talked with me saying to me, Come, I will show you the judgment of the great harlot who sits on many waters with whom the kings of the earth committed fornication and the inhabitants of the earth were made drunk with the wine of a fornication. So he carried me away in the spirit into the wilderness and I saw a woman sitting on a scarlet beast which was full of names of blasphemy, having seven heads and ten horns. The woman was arrayed in purple and scarlet and adorned with gold and precious stones and pearls, having in her hand a golden cup full of abominations and the filthiness of her fornication. And on her forehead, a name was written, Mystery, Babylon the Great, the mother of harlots and of the abominations of the earth. And I saw the woman drunk with the blood of the saints and with the blood of the martyrs of Jesus. And when I saw her, I marveled with great amazement. It is something to marvel. Do you think you could make sense of that just like that on your own? Impossible. Impossible. It sounds like something out of a Hollywood movie, doesn't it? When you look at that imagery, it sounds like something out of a Hollywood fiction movie. And yet it's, it's not fiction because it's in the Bible. It's in the book of Revelation. Now, we have a lot of symbols in this passage which we have to unpack in order to find out what all this means. So I'm going to help you by giving you, giving all of us the symbols and what their meaning is so that we'll all go away crystal clear as to what is being said. Now, who is the scarlet harlot and who is this scarlet beast? Now, a beast in Bible prophecy represents a what? A kingdom or a nation. A beast represents a kingdom or a nation we'll discover that a woman represents a church. What does a woman represent? A church. Okay, so we've got a church or a religious system riding 
a kingdom or the state or the government power. Now, we have an answer at the end of chapter 17 to tell us who this woman is and who this beast is. It tells us, and the woman whom you saw is that great city, speaking of Babylon, which reigns over the kings of the earth. So this woman is end time Babylon. This woman is what Satan uses at the end of time in order to deceive the entire world. Are we all together on that? How many are lost? Okay, probably some of you may be struggling. So let me summarize, okay? We're going to summarize. At the end of time, Satan will seek to receive what? Worship. Is that clear so far? Is that part at least clear? Okay. From all the inhabitants of the world through his end time system of what? Babylon. You remember? That was right at the very beginning of time. Isn't that right? The Tower of Babel where he tried to receive worship. The great harlot that receives her influence and power from the beast. So Babylon at the end of time through whom Satan seeks to receive worship. Babylon is referred to in Revelation as that great harlot. Are we all together so far? Very good. Excellent. Good to see that Phil's on board. So I'm going to be asking you questions later and we'll see how well you remember. No, we won't do that. <laughs> So who does this scarlet harlot represent? Well, I've already told you, what does a woman represent in the Bible? A church. That's what a woman represents. A woman is a symbol for the church. This scarlet harlot represents none other than the Roman church state. We have looked at this already in the past. We've discovered in Revelation 13 that that beast power, that first beast that rises up out of the sea, that that is a symbol for the Roman church state. In the same way, in Revelation 17, we discover that this time, instead of a beast, this system is described as a woman. Now, once again, I need to emphasize the fact, and that is, God here tonight is speaking of a system of a power and not individuals who are part of that system, who are part of that church. Are we all together on that? God is not against people. God loves all people. But God is against systems or powers that take away from the prerogatives that belong to God alone. Amen? And I too am against that. I love all people. I love all Christians, all non-Christians, all Muslims, all Hindus, all Buddhists, all Jews, all atheists, all agnostics. I love everyone. Amen? And you ought to love everyone too. Amen? But I do not love, I hate error and deception. What about you? And you ought to hate error and deception. Because error and deception takes us away from Jesus Christ. It takes our worship away from Jesus Christ. And if you're not worshipping Jesus Christ, there's only one other who you're worshipping. There's only two sides in the great controversy. There's not 13 different flavours out there. This is not Baskin Robbins. There's only two options, either Jesus Christ or the enemy. So, let's take a look at end time Babylon. Let's take a look at if the evidence from Revelation points to the church of Rome as this 
institution of end-time Babylon, this great harlot, that the enemy will use. Firstly, it's an unfaithful church. Okay, we've already looked at that. And you kind of, by looking at the language, this woman, this harlot, who is, who is dressed inappropriately, has uh, intoxicating drink in her cup, it kind of isn't a good picture for a woman. I wouldn't want my wife to look like that. Would you want your wife to look like that, Michael? No, never. <laughs> now, in the Bible, in Revelation, there are two women. How many women in Revelation? Two women. There is the pure woman that represents the pure church, which will be our next subject. And there is this false woman or this false church that is represented by this great harlot. The pure woman is a virgin. She's a what? She's a virgin. This woman is a harlot, and that needs, no, that needs no description. I don't need to give any more explanation on that. Now, in, in Scripture, I've shared this with you, but I'll just give you one text. There are many I could give you. In Jeremiah 6.2, we read, I have likened the daughter of Zion, this is what God says, to a lovely and delicate what? Woman. The daughter of Zion is who? Israel. That's God's people. Israel have been likened to a, to a lovely and delicate woman. The complete opposite to what? A harlot. The complete opposite to a harlot. In fact, when God's people strayed from him, God referred to them as being a harlot. You can go through and you can read the Old Testament. Just read the book of Hosea. The book of Hosea is all about that. End time Babylon is an, has unfaithful daughter churches unfaithful daughter churches. Notice what we read. This mystery Babylon the Great is the mother of what? In order to be a mother, you have to have what? Children. Isn't that right? That's not hard to work out, is it? In order to be a mother, you have to have children, according to Scripture. So what the Bible is telling us, that this power, this church will have many children, many children that will follow in her footsteps. 500 years ago, we have the Protestant Reformation break onto the scene of history in a mighty way. Guess what's happening today? All the, reform, all the churches from the Protestant Reformation, the protest is over. By and large, the protest is over amongst Protestant churches. And now there is this there is this big move of coming together, gathering all together. Isn't that right? Are you aware of that? Let me just give you some quick examples of what's taking place. Here's Pope Francis, and he had a meeting in 2014 of June with charismatic evangelical leaders. They met him at the Vatican, and they, the, the purpose was how can we create unity in Christianity, that they all may be what? One to fulfill the words of Jesus. Not one in truth, but just simply to be one. Uh, in 2014, this is what sparked that meeting. Um, the Pope had a, an appeal that he made um, via uh, just via an iPhone where he was taped by, by Tony Palmer, a close friend of his. And he, and he said, let's pray to the Lord that he unites us all. Come on, we are all brothers. So mother is seeking to do what? To unite all her children as one. And then in 2015, 
at this John 17 movement in Phoenix, Arizona, he said that the, the division in Christianity is a what? Is a wound and it needs to be healed. Okay, so we have this coming together just as Revelation 17 predicted. It's not just in Christianity. Um, here we've got Pope Francis and, his, and he had a meeting, a congress with a number of world religious leaders, as you can see from all different um, uh, religions in the world to end slavery worldwide. Uh, then when he visited the United States of America, Pope Francis once again um, <clears throat> uh, spoke to a gathering there where he was assisted, as you can see there on the stage, by other religious leaders representing the major world religions speaking at the September 11 memorial, speaking about peace and how we can go forward in peace. So today, there is this concerted effort for the religions of the world, not just Christianity, not just Christianity, but all the world religions to come together under the leadership of who? Of the pontiff, and to seek to bring about peace in this world that is spiraling more and more out of control. It makes sense. The Bible tells us in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 3, when they say peace and safety, then sudden destruction comes upon them. And that's speaking of the very end of time. June 8, 2014, for the first time in history, first time in history, Pope Francis invited the Palestinian president, Mahmoud Abbas, that's him there, along with the Orthodox Patriarch of Constantinople, Bartholomew, there he is next to the Pope, along with the Israeli president, Shimon Peres. These four individuals representing four significant faith groups in the world. Judaism, Orthodox Christianity, obviously the Roman Catholic Church, and Islam. Right there, you are watching Revelation 17, coming to pass before your very eyes. Trust me, this had never, ever before happened. And for the first time, for the first time ever, the Quran was read in the garden there at the Vatican. And prayers were offered on behalf of the Quran and the Bible and the Jewish faith. Fascinating stuff. Anyway, let's press on. End time Babylon would be arrayed in purple and scarlet. That's what we read. Purple, scarlet, gold, precious stones and pearls. If you read your Bible, and I wish I had time to give you all these scriptures, but I don't. If you read the Old Testament there, you'll discover that the harlot was dressed in purple, had gold, precious stones and pearls on her. That's how God described the harlot in the Old Testament. Scarlet. What scarlet? And by the way, purple is also uh, a color of royalty. Isn't that right? It's the color of royalty. And, and, and this woman says, I sit as queen in Revelation 18. I sit as queen and you cannot do anything about it. I will rule forever. Rule forever. Even though God said you'll be destroyed. Scarlet. Scarlet. Very interesting. When you read in Isaiah, you discover that scarlet is a symbol for sin. Symbol for what? Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be as white as wool. Scarlet is also a symbol for blood, persecution, and red. It's fascinating. If you go to Rome, guess what you see? Scarlet and purple. Scarlet 
and purple worn by the cardinals and the bishops there in Rome and lots of gold as well. Isn't that fascinating? Straight out of Revelation. End time Babylon would persecute God's faithful people. It says, I saw the woman drunk with the blood of the saints, the blood of the martyrs. So I don't need to share with you. I think you're well aware, based on our previous presentation, that some 50 to 100 million Christians were killed during those dark ages. 50 to 100 million people. No other institution on the planet has killed so many as this fallen church system during the, church, during the dark ages. Not even Hitler came anywhere near this amount. We press on. It would blaspheme against God. According to the Bible, what is blasphemy? It's making oneself equal with God and claiming the power and the authority to forgive sins. Does this power seek the prerogatives that belong to God? It certainly does. We've already looked at that. Number six, it would commit fornication with the nations. It commits fornication with the nations. Now, what does it mean? What does the Bible mean by fornication with the nations? We know what fornication is. Fornication is two individuals who are not married, who are sleeping together. That's fornication. Now, what does it mean? It's obviously symbolic. What does that mean? Well, let's take a look at what the Bible says. Firstly, one form of fornication is the practice of idolatry. Notice what we read in Ezekiel chapter 16, verse 17. God says, you have also taken your beautiful jewelry from my gold and my silver, which I had given you and made for yourself male what? Images and played the what? Harla with them. Oh, there's that word again. It just popped up. So idolatry is in God's eyes synonymous with what? Harlotry. Idolatry and harlotry, bowing to idols, making idols. Does the church of Rome have idols? Yes, absolutely. What did God say? Do not make any idols or bow down to them. Secondly, fornication by becoming friendly with the degenerate world, by becoming friendly with the world. Notice what James writes in James chapter 4, verse 4. He writes, Adulterers and adulteresses, do you not know that what? Friendship with who? The world is enmity with God. So he's not talking about physical adultery. He's talking about spiritual adultery. What kind of adultery? Spiritual adultery. He goes on. Whoever therefore wants to be a friend of the world make him, makes himself an enemy of what? God. So when you choose the world as your companion and not Jesus Christ and his word as your companion, guess what you commit? Guess what you commit? Spiritual adultery. Why? Because you have made a covenant to be faithful to God. You have made a covenant to be faithful to His Word. You have made a covenant to be true to Him and His Word alone. 
And when you and I chase after the world and the things of this world, and we want to be a friend of the world, we become an enemy of who? An enemy of God. What did Jesus say? He said, if the world loves you, my love is not in you. If the world hates you, you are one of my own. Isn't that right? Isn't that what Jesus said? Thirdly, fornication is committed through the union of church and state. When the church and the state get into bed together. We talked about that the other night. That is fornication according to Scripture. Who should the church be married to? Jesus Christ. When the church seeks the assistance of the government in order to pursue its plans and objectives, that, according to Scripture, is fornication. Is this the case? Have a look. Come, I will show you the judgment of the great harlot who sits on many waters. Waters represent multitudes, nations, and, and peoples with whom the kings of the earth committed fornication. So this harlot is committing fornication with the kings, with the, with, the, with the government rulers of this world. And by the way, who is in charge? The woman is in charge. Who is riding who? The woman is riding the what? The beast. The woman is riding the beast. The woman is the one in charge. The beast is giving her the support. Now, is the church of Rome getting very friendly with the nations of this world, with the government leaders of this world? What do you think? Have you been watching the news lately? Well, if you haven't, let me update you on what's been happening lately. In September 2015, Pope Francis addressed the largest gathering of United Nations leaders. The largest gathering in the history of the United Nations. It was the 70th anniversary and Pope Francis addressed. He had the opening keynote address and they put through this huge agenda, this huge agenda for the next 15 years, basically the new world order. I don't have time to get into that tonight. You may be thinking, what was that, Danny? Go home and Google it and find out. But as he, as he entered, guess what? The Pope came in to a standing ovation. I watched it. You can go online and you can watch it. I'm not sure if it's still up there, but I watched it not so long ago. He came in and every world leader that was there stood to their feet and they were just clapping and cheering and he was introduced as Your Holiness, Pope Francis. And there was just uproar, applause and celebrate. Does any other world religious leader receive this kind of attention at the United Nations? No. No other world religious leader receives this kind of attention, has this kind of influence at the UN, the United Nations. That's straight out of Revelation chapter 17. Check out this. This was on the front cover of Time magazine back in 1992. And, I've, I've got, and this is what it says there on the front cover. How Reagan, that's President Reagan, and the Pope, that was Pope John Paul II at the time, conspired to assist Poland's solidarity movement and hasten the demise of what? Communism. Pope John Paul II got together with the President of the United States and together 
fornication, they brought down communism. That's huge. That's massive. Why? Because communism was that pain in the neck for both the papacy and the United States. Because according to Revelation 13, the United States will be the end-time worldwide lone superpower and the Church of Rome will be the end-time worldwide super religious power. These two go hand in hand according to Revelation 13. Fascinating stuff. Check this out. Absolutely. I'm telling you, if, if, if this, is, this, is, this is beyond. This is beyond. This is phenomenal. This is on the front page of the Herald Sun and on the front page of the Daily Telegraph when the Pope passed away, Pope John Paul II. You have one, two, three presidents of the United States for five minutes kneeling. What are they doing? Kneeling before the dead pontiff. That had never happened before in all of human history. Never, ever. What's that telling you? That should be telling you something very, very clearly. Power and the passion of a moment in history. My, oh my, was it a moment in history. These two powers, Revelation 13 says, are going to come together at the end of time. That's what the Bible says. And we are clearly seeing it on the front pages of our new. By the way, Pope John Paul II's funeral was the largest funeral in history. More political leaders, kings and queens came to his funeral than any other funeral that has ever been conducted in the history of the world. It was huge. It was massive. It was massive. What Revelation tells us is taking place and all the world is wandering after the beast. That's Revelation 13.3. Pope Francis went to uh, the United States, as you may recall, a couple of years ago, in 2015. Um, he was greeted by President Obama and his wife and his daughters and the Vice President at he was greeted there on the tarmac. The president never, rarely, rarely does the president go and meet the visiting guest at the tarmac. That just doesn't happen. You go and visit him in the White House. He doesn't come to visit you there on the tarmac when you step off. This is, this is huge, absolutely huge. And um, there, there was a lot of fanfare. He was there for six days. First time in history. Pope Francis addressed both houses of Congress. This is, this is unprecedented. Unprecedented. Notice this. Francis' speech had all the pomp and circumstance of a State of the Union address in the House of Representatives chamber. It was like the President of the United States himself was there addressing both houses of Congress. Well, he met, have you seen this bloke here before? Who's he? Even the kids know who that is. Who's that, kids? Donald Trump. Even the kids know who it is. Not Donald, Dr Donald Duck, but Donald Trump. He met the Pope. And notice what he had to say after he met the Pope. And by the way, he met the Pope in record time. No other president of the United States had met him as soon after his inauguration. He broke all the records. He wanted to be there right off the bat. This is what he tweeted. Did you know that Donald Trump tweets? You knew that. <laughs> Honor of a lifetime to meet His Holiness Pope Francis. There you go. Using that language of blasphemy. 
I leave the Vatican more determined than ever to pursue our peace in our world. What does the Bible say? This power will lead the world in the pursuit of peace that will end very badly for the people of God. Huge, powerful. Check this out. Pope Francis appeared on five front covers of Time magazine since his inauguration five years ago. Does anyone else appear on Time magazine that many times? Has, has Malcolm Turnbull appeared on Time magazine five times? Has he appeared once? No. <laughs> I'm telling you, this guy is a phenomena. There is no other individual on the planet. No other individual on the planet that is as popular today as Pope Francis. He may not have the most Twitter followers. Maybe Lady Gaga has more. I don't know. <laughs> I don't follow any of that. But let me assure you, my friends, that this man is the most powerful figure on the planet, even more so than President Trump. Because when it comes to bowing, when it comes to kneeling, he's not going to kneel before Trump. Trump's going to kneel before him. Trust me. Trust me on that. And everybody else will follow suit. These are, these are the five front covers. This one here, the world pope. Francis, Pope Francis, person of the year. He was the person of the year in that one. The people's pope. Pope Francis meets America. Then this one here is phenomenal. You can't read it, but let me read it for you. The new Roman Empire... The global reach of Pope Francis. The new Roman Empire, the global reach of Pope Francis. I'm telling you, my friend, as I was looking at that front cover of the Time magazine, as you know, I subscribe to Time magazine. I was looking at the front cover. I opened my Bible to Revelation 17, and I was like, have mercy. I am reading Bible prophecy on the front cover of Time magazine. Huge! Huge! Well, let's keep pressing on. Revelation predicts that just before the coming of Jesus, all the world's political powers will give their power and authority to the Church of Rome and follow her in the establishment of a new world order. You read that, Revelation 17, verses 12 and 13. It's clear, Revelation 13, verse 3, it's there. And elsewhere. However, the Lamb, and who's the Lamb? Jesus Christ, will have the final word and God's people will be delivered and be what? Victorious. You see, Revelation 17 identifies this end time power that has been resurrected to power, according to Revelation 13.3. Revelation 18 describes the demise and the destruction of Babylon. And Revelation 19 is, guess what? The coming of Jesus. The coming of Jesus and the victory of those that have put their faith and trust in him. Isn't that awesome? Read the book of Revelation. How many of you have read the book of Revelation seriously? The rest of you, go home and start reading it. It's awesome. You'll love it. I'm telling you. It's my favorite book in the whole Bible now. I just love it. It's just so powerful and just, and just so encouraging, full of encouragement. And finally, end time Babylon offers the nations her intoxicating abominations. Having in her hand, we read, a golden cup 
Full of what? Abominations. Now what? What are some of these major abominations the harlot shares with the nations? Now what's an abomination? An abomination, just go home and read it in the dictionary. Google an abomination. The definition is something that is absolutely reprehensible to God. Something that disgusts God beyond anything. Usually it's, it's that which are lies and false um, and deception. That's an abomination. There are many of them. Let me give you a list of just a few of the major abominations that are in this cup, in this golden cup. Tradition instead of truth. We've looked at that. Sunday instead of what? Saturday. The immortality of the soul or that you continue to live on through the soul that doesn't die. Eternal hellfire has been passed on from this church to the rest of the churches. Infant baptism. The Pope as God on earth, which we've looked at, the priest and forgiveness instead of Christ and forgiveness and image worship. This is just a few. A few abominations that are in this cup that the woman is passing out to who? To all the nations. All the nations and they are drinking it and becoming drunk. When you're drunk, do you know what you're doing? You don't know what you're doing when you're drunk. One of the reasons why when I was clubbing and going to pubs and all that sort of stuff in my former life. One of the reasons why I didn't drink, I didn't drink, is because I looked at my friends that were drinking and they were pretty stupid to begin with. But after they drank, after they drank, they were even more stupid. And I'm like, I have a hard enough time being the way I should be when I'm sober. I'm not going to drink to be like them and be an utter fool. When you are drunk, you don't know what you are doing. What God here is saying is that the nations are not following his word and they are being led by the nose. They have no idea what they're getting themselves into. The churches, the churches, the religions of this world have no idea. Protestants, you know what the word Protestant means? To protest, to protest. To protest the errors that have crept into the church through tradition. All these errors. But guess what's happened to the protest? The protest has been deleted from Protestantism. And now you simply, if you don't, if you take out protest out of Protestant, what do you have? Ant. Ant. Now we have a bunch of ants that are following in the footsteps of who? Rome. That's what we have today. The protest is gone and we have a bunch of ants. What does God say? And I heard another voice from heaven saying what? Come out of her, my people, lest you share in her sins and lest you receive of her plagues. Come out of Babylon. Babylon will be destroyed. Make no mistake about it. Why am I sharing this message with you? Because I want you to be all flustered and upset. No, 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 no. I'm sharing this message with you because God says this message needs to be shared with the whole world. This is not to scare you. This is to prepare you. Not to do what? Scare you, but to prepare you. That is why God shares this message. So the question is, how can I know if I'm currently in Babylon? How can I know? Simple. Does my church or faith community that I belong to teach one or more of the false teachings of the Church of Rome. Does it? 
If it does, if it does, you're in Babylon and God is saying, come out, come out, come out of this system that is teaching error. Otherwise, you will be destroyed with Babylon. Make no mistake, God is crystal clear. Go home and read Revelation. It could not be any more clearer. God is using absolutely clear language. Jesus says, come out. Come out, my people. My people. Isn't it good that God refers to those who are in Babylon who don't know any better as my people? Isn't that wonderful that God refers to them as my people? My people. Are there many people today who are practicing error and who do not know it? Yes. The majority of Christians today are in Babylon and they have no idea. God is inviting them to come out. He's inviting them to follow Him who is the way, the truth, and the life. The truth is, before God destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah, what did He do? He went in there with what? His angels. Two angels. And those two angels delivered Lot and his daughters. Sadly, his wife turned around and we know what happened to her. Before God destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah, he gave the warning. Before God destroys Babylon, he gives the warning to his people to do what? Come out. Come out. Be separate that you not be destroyed. Come out of her, my people. Come out of her, my people. What does Jesus say? My sheep hear my voice and I know them and they do what? They follow me. Jesus is inviting you to follow him, to follow him. Let's pray. Let's pray together. Loving Father in heaven, we thank you so much for your word. We thank you so much for the book of Revelation. Oh, Father, you know how much I love this wonderful book. It just stirs my heart. It gives me hope. Um, it, it, it unveils the the deceptions of the one who is behind Babylon, the one who is Babylon himself, and that is Satan. Father, we thank you for your word that not only reveals the, the lies of the devil, but also reveals to us the beautiful truths of Jesus Christ. We thank you for the revelation of Jesus Christ. We thank you and we praise you for this book. Father, may we treasure this book. May we love this book. And may we take the time to read and study this book. Oh, Father, use us, bless us. May we be faithful and true to the Good Shepherd. May we, may we follow the Good Shepherd wherever he will lead us. For this is our prayer in Jesus' name. And everybody said, Amen and Amen and Amen.